This call is being recorded. Hello? Hello, Ernie. How are you today? This is Steve. Hello, Stephen. This is Ernie. Thank you for joining me on this call. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you. Very good. Ah, so. That's a, that's a deep sigh. Yes, no, it's just, no, uh, I was just thinking, uh, I think I, I dropped you in on the middle of what may be the weirdest and most interesting conversation in the history of civilization. Um, that I, I love the succinct and to the point nature of the way you stated that. Dude, you did. I'm thinking, I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking you and I are going to have this private conversation like at 10 o'clock or something. And, and I go, what? It's a group? It's a what? <laughs> so, so, so the good um, news is you are now part of the inner circle and uh, the perhaps less, uh, less uh, desired good news is this does not mean that things are going to necessarily get any clearer. <laughs> Why don't we give you a chance to ask any questions you have or at least meditate on the process together and uh, give you what I do have. Um, Ernie, it is, um, it's a, it's an adventure and it, your invitation came simultaneously with a disintegration of my participation in a men's Bible study on Wednesday nights. Wow. And um, so let me, let me leap through the last three weeks that you and I have been working together to say, I, I, I say goodbye to the group last night through their leader is an elder in our church. I said, it's, it's time for me to, to leave. And I explained to him many reasons why. And then I wrote, I decided that I wanted to control my own legacy of leaving. So I wrote a note to all the men in the group and, and said, look at all these things that I've learned from you. It's now time for me to leave and lead on my own and look to see who might follow me. And it all had to do with why am I so inspired spontaneously by the Holy Spirit and the gifting of, of you and the brothers that are joining us on those Friday calls. And, and yet I become so depleted and exhausted in two hour sessions of Bible study with this group of men. And I analyzed myself and I said, oh, this, this is an issue of gifting. This is an issue of wh where, where, where do I see other men growing? And then I get excited about their growth. I get excited about their insight and their inspiration. I mean, that, that, that's you and Ted. And, and I know Bill. And I, I'm going, wow, this is radically different. Why do I choose to hang out with guys that drain me on a Wednesday? And yet in 15 minutes, I am like elevated to a spiritual level of worship and love for the Lord on a Friday. Mm -hmm. So the Lord used, this is the second time in, in the last four years where I felt the prickliness of a situation I was in that I didn't really like as God prompting me to leave. Like, mm. like poking me, like, I'm going to make this uncomfortable for you till you figure out you need to stop and go do something else. 
Is that when you left your job or? Exactly. Exactly. You understood the timeline perfectly. <laughs> and Is so that was it, one it, of the signs that to me that uh, the, the journey you are on is well i think that was a that leap of faith i remember you taking that yeah too, I bet you after you took that yeah and uh i think that the uh hell might be too strong of a word it might not be that you've been through since then and what? i don't even know your current situation in terms of like what your career looks like but just seeing the way that you have walked through that is why you like Ted has like never heard of you or met you. No, like you know, but but like the fact that Ted is like, okay, Ernie's melting down. I'll just ask Stephen to cover for us. It's like this is why I like first of all, I like I totally knew that that was the right thing to do, but this is why I love Ted. Yes, <laughs> is because you know he and I had. Um, this is my history of Ted. So, like, you, you don't know how many of his best. It's just hilarious how we're we're doing. So, Ted is part of Harvest. Was part of a group called Harvest Evangelism. And uh, as you heard of Ed also, I don't actually know I, kind of what theological circles you hang out in. I I have I've never heard of that. Okay, so have you heard of the phrase marketplace ministry? Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the term lighthouses of prayer? Um, I think you referenced it once because it's not Probably foreign. Yeah, so to maybe, me. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So, um, uh, let's let's ask the question. What which theological circles do you tend to hang out in? Like which speakers I, or conferences or backgrounds I, do you tend to like know who's who in? I I don't, Ernie. I you I don't have, hang out any. I mean, what, Not, what what brand of churches are you, do you tend to hang? Have you tended to visit uh, the most? So outside, outside my local church, um, well, I'm most local church. Yeah. Uh, Mosaic in Los Angeles with Irwin McManus. That's that's been a big favorite for the last few weeks. Okay. But okay, okay. so so like InterVarsity Christian Fellowship is is a is an organization that I've been closely associated with for the last seven or eight years. Oh, really? Do you know Joel Sackwell by any chance? I haven't met Joel. Oh, Joe is Joe he, Sackwell. Anyway, he's he's Joe. a university staff person. He's actually director of administrative partnerships. He's one of the guys on the uh, Prefuture Academy. That's another story. Anyway, just random. You never know. You know. Yeah, other, exactly. So exactly. You're a connector. <laughs> All right, so let me just give you the background. So, uh, my background is primarily well, uh, even though I was raised in the Lutheran Church, my family was kind of fundamentalist in background, yeah. doing creationism and you know that whole segment of things. And then I was involved with university throughout my many, many years of education and. Um, attended congregational evangelical churches, uh, Park Street Church in Boston, Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, where I interacted somewhat with the Fuller crowd. But at, through a series of weird experiences, which will probably not surprise you, I got involved with a guy named Peter Wimber, or Peter Wagner, who was working with John Wimber on this thing that became the Vineyard, or okay. the Vineyard Revival. There's a whole 
charismatic renewal thing that happened in the 90s. Yeah. Yes. Around there. I remember. So, okay, yeah. So I was, I wouldn't say I was on the edges of it. I wouldn't say I was in the center. It was kind of a little bit of both. And so that was kind of my experience with the whole charismatic movement. And when I moved to the Bay Area, I just joined a Baptist church with a friend of mine. But my wife is part of a, was part of a church in India that's part of a movement called Salt and Light, which she met the pastor from San Jose when he was visiting, like, just before she came over. And so we joined their church. And that's much more in the, um, that church is interesting. I don't know if you know a guy, I'm liking his name, Bob uh, Mumford. Does that name ring any bells in your... Nope. Okay. haven't met Bob. Bob. So you've heard of the, like, the Jesus people and the whole 70s uh, kind of little revival thing that happened in the Bay Area, kind of the, the Christian version of the Summer of Love and that whole yes. Jesus um, movement. Okay. Yes, it happened at Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto in the early 70s. It's been documented in a book called Body Life. Okay, good. So you can try to find the right cultural reference to put the context of what's happening. So uh, all these people get saved. Uh, they're all drug addicts and dysfunctional families. And so, uh, and the social church, for the most part, has no clue what to do with them. And so, uh, or the, the, the cultural bit was to it. So Bob Mumford had this idea, okay, let's get these guys here and let's give them some discipline and structure and show them how to be real Christians. Yeah. And that led to something called the discipleship movement, uh, which was, yes. you know, very intensive. And so that went, um, that was really good until it became really bad. Right. Because Sounds it was like all focused on downward, uh, you know, taking people who are a mess and building them up. But then it didn't deal with the mess of the people at the top. And of course, it always comes out, right, as you know. So. Uh, that, but that he moved up a school Kentucky, which founded our church here, uh, which was gone to many different names. You know, the current name is Kingsway. But they're very much in the, the charismatic tradition, uh, something that's called third wave charismatic, along with the vineyard and things like that. And where they tend to look at is so their um, kind of lodestones are like Bethel Church in Reading as well as, you know, these different revivals that have happened in Los Angeles and Pensacola, Florida, and the Toronto Airport vineyard like that. That's kind of okay. kind of hanging up in the air. So, uh, and this was just a really long background to talk about Etzebelso. Etzebelso, so there was a, what's considered a revival that happened in Argentina about uh, like 20 years ago now. And where they just saw cities being transformed in really powerful ways. And people within the, um, so, you know, um, you know, even though it really sad when people discover like an old manuscript, <laughs> like that's the basis of their faith, more or less. Yes. Like we've got the documentary evidence of the Bible. So the way even Duckle feel about that is how terrible the feels feel when a revival breaks out somewhere. It's like, cool, this is a new thing that proves that God is real and has not forgotten us and he's giving us the things we need to succeed, right? So... The uh, so a lot of people start traveling in Argentina to the revival. So it's also was an Argentinian, and he really took to heart like, okay, God's doing something really powerful here that is new. We're we're not just having people sit in churches; we're actually transforming cities. And so he basically took that uh, globally, 
uh, with a group called Harvest Evangelism and, and later rebranded as Transform uh, Our World. And that was a big buzzword. I'll send you a link to transformation and some of the stuff that was happening in that movement in the early part of the century. But there were several really profound things that Ed, I think, popularized. One was this idea of like the goal of the gospel. He's not the only one saying it, obviously, but he put a lot of structures and programs and marketing around this idea that the goal is, is social transformation, which is not really a new thing for liberals, but for conservative, evangelicals, and charismatics, focusing on actually improving society was kind of a novelty at the time. Uh, you still with me? Yes, I am, Ernie. I'm writing okay, notes. I'm, I'm tracking. <laughs> okay, good. And then... The second thing is part of that he really focused on marketplace ministry. Okay. So you remember, you remember, at least I don't know if you remember that. I remember that marketplace ministry became a big thing around 20, 30 years ago. And church started um, doing, trying to do marketplace groups and using the phrase marketplace ministry. I, I was in one in Palo Alto in okay, yeah. um, the early, 1990. Yeah. So he was at least part of this, not one of the, like he wrote books on these things. And I think uh, it is plausible that he was still, if not one of the pioneers, at least one of the popularizers of this idea. And really focusing on it's not about the pastor, it's about the man in the pew. And so Ed's been doing a lot of work, you know, and Phil's doing a lot of work, even though he's almost retired. Anyway, um, all right, he's technically retired, but not that I noticed any difference after his official retirement. Anyway, that's just a long way to say, so well, Harvest Rising Trust World is just, you know, tiny little staff and they got this enormous global network of people that they work with and it, it's really quite an extraordinary organization but Ted's story I'll give you a short version is that he was part of that like pretty much from the time he got married and God started moving him out probably in similar ways to the way that God moved you out of your job oh and okay was, and I've been watching and so um, alright well this is the honest podcast you guys are out there so President was an extraordinary movement with an extraordinary leader. And I think he's done the best he could given that burden. Right? Because the thing that breaks my heart is that we create these institutions and we put people in impossible situations. Yes. Because when you have an institution that's set up the way things are today, people expect a leader to have the answers. And uh, you are not allowed as leader to say, I have no idea what we're doing. Uh, I remember that very distinctly when I was at Apple. I actually tried to tell a customer who asked me for a question, like, what's your roadmap five years out? And I said, we don't know. Right. <laughs> and, honestly, like, the salesperson, honestly, you, you know, The salesperson had to, like, like, you know, cover me quickly and, like, rid me of the question. We never admit we don't know. <laughs> While it may be true, we just never admit it. You never do, because that is not an option, right? Because the whole premise of the institution is, trust us, we know what we're doing. Yes, yes. You know, and, 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 I, and I look back, and I, and I used to feel a lot of resentment and frustration about this. Now I just feel pity, because, like, they had to do that in order to survive. Yes. I mean, uh, Ted talks about how, you know, the Western Church has, you know, Protestant churches are, tend to be very negative on Constantine and the whole edict of Nance and all this stuff where the church got incorporated into what became the Catholic yes. Church and the Empire. Yes. 
Because yes. Well, you know what happened in the rest of the world where the church didn't get officially back, it got exterminated. In Japan, in Europe, in, you know, is that, hmm. you know, for better or worse, Christianity survived in Western Europe, and that's how it got to the rest of the world. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's, there's a deal with the devil sometimes you have to make to survive. And, you know, you look at throughout church history or biblical history, it's like, ugh, can't believe they had to do that. But it's like, well, that's the world God gave us. And yes. we had to figure out how to survive. And so, yes. I mean, and I think a lot about King David and like, you know, he had to do what he had to do to survive. God told him, yes. and I was like, but, but, but let's be clear, there's a price you pay for that. Yes. It's hard to build the temple of God. Yes. Not going to get to do it. And I, and I was seeing this happen, and I was feeling like something dramatic was going to happen. Like, this just seemed unsustainable. And then John McClendon went to the Harvest Conference, and he said, you know, God just blessed and honored Ed and honored Transform Our World. And it was just such a beautiful thing. It's like, wow, that is the exact opposite of what I expected to happen. You know, what's going on? And he said, and then Ted gave a talk which was the most beautifully broken, vulnerable, humble thing I've ever seen a man do, or something like that. I said, okay, maybe I have no idea what's going on. That's always an option. Or maybe I saw part of this problem. I saw the problem, but I didn't see the redemptive option. And, from, and so the narrative I constructed in my head was, like, there are problems. And if they were unchecked, it would have led to disaster. But Ted mm. stood in the gap and said, I will not criticize, I will not complain, I will model the thing that my spiritual fathers don't have the freedom to model. And I will be, you know, the one who stands in the gap for that. And so that's how I read that wow. story. And so I've been keeping an eye on Ted, and like that really, like, you know, and that, you know, maybe that's just a mental game I play to make myself feel good about my own predictions, but that was where I was at. And then I heard uh, a couple months ago, in the before times, that Ted had left Harvest Evangelism. And so my ears pricked up. It's like, huh, that's interesting. And so, you know, I, I got together for lunch, and we just had this amazing moment where it's like, you know, um, the things we were passionate about, honoring our fathers, yes. about doing what God tells us to do, about, yes. you know, doing the breaking new ground. It's like, okay, there's a there there. And so we started having uh, some phone calls and chats, and then we did a uh, a little workshop on Leap Day, uh, where I sat down with John and Ted and said, "Okay, um, we use different names for it, but the the name that Ted pushed for was the future of Christianity." And and what I wanted to do was say, okay, let's do a design thinking exercise on what do we want Christianity to be, right? And you've been around me long enough, this is probably not surprise you. It only occurred to me when I was writing this stuff down, you know, maybe it comes across as just a little bit pretentious and ambitious, but. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I'm going to drop my phone. <laughs> uh, er Ernie, Ernie, you, you, you have to admit your 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 honesty and transparency are are unparalleled. Your self reflection and and your your self deprecating humor is so so refreshing. 
Thank you. There are many things I have to admit. That's one of the easier ones. Uh, your generosity is deeply appreciated, Stephen. So anyway, um, I was like, okay, let's start at the beginning. And, you know, just to say, so um, the, uh, I'll give you the, the stuff notes. I'll send you the presentation later. But basically, the vision is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That seems like a good, that is the world I would like to create. Okay. And then, okay, and then the mission, the thing we do to get there is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that we commanded, we commanded them. Seems pretty straightforward. I don't think any Christian on earth would really disagree with either of those two things in any fundamental Correct. Way. Yes, right. I agree. Says, okay. So that's the vision. That vision, I think it's safe to say we have not accomplished that yet. And this is where it gets um, interesting. Right? I mean, I think it's fair to say that people generally, and I have a very simple operation. Do people think following God is a good thing and wish more people did it? You know, and I think at least in the West, the answer does not seem to be yes. And like, I don't even care. My metric is actually not necessarily that everyone is a Christian or even wants to be a Christian. But they wished they had the guts to be a Christian. That's oh, my that... ideal world. It's like, wow, that God is amazing. I wish I had the courage to follow him. That's, that's, you know, that's my success metric. You know, is that, is that, you know, we, is, is that, is, that's why I remember the glory of God. That those people who are most in tune with God and known most for being associated with the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, are the people that everyone admires, whether or not they want that for themselves, they kind of wish they did. Yeah. Mm. All right. So, okay, that, mm. but that's just a, that's just what I'm mm. so saying. Okay. So, we are not that right now, in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> we are still imperfect in our humanness. But, 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 certainly, but just purely from a marketing perspective, right? The brand of Christianity is not that right. right there are individual christians like the mother Teresa, you know um or at least there have been i can't think of anything currently where people says yeah well wow, that's really high i really admire that even though i don't want to do that um but anyway so the question is okay this is the problem statement so and the question is uh why and what to do about it so I'll you can read the presentation for the details, but the interesting thing that came out of that was um so just going through the the, the exercise, like our institute uh, the, the short version is that discipleship requires authenticity. Yes. And our institutions require performance. And that is the conundrum that has trapped the church for a thousand years or more. And it's not a simple thing. Still there? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm just thinking deeply, Ernie. That was a perplexing contrast of ideas you just shared. So let me make it more precise. Is that the gospel? To flourish, 
requires people being authentic and naked. But for the gospel to survive, it has to be cloaked and defended. Yeah. And that is just an empirical statement of what we have seen throughout history. And that is the paradox or the conundrum or the dilemma. And this, and, and since this is one of these, um, these uh, world transformative movements, it is, it is a, a wicked problem. And therefore, you see the opportunity to tackle it because that's who you are. But because the wicked problem is by definition, um, 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 well, to me, a wicked problem is just another form of a black swan. Yeah. You agree with black swan thinking? No, say that again. Black swan. Have you heard the phrase black swan? Oh, oh yes. We talked about that um, once yeah. before. Yeah, somewhere. Okay, so anyway, the point is, is that given the way we look at the world and the tools at our disposal, uh, this problem is uh, resistance to solution, which implies that. Um, which implies that, well, sorry, that one of my most uh, useful things uh, is that nothing is obvious if you look at it the wrong way. So it doesn't mean that everything is obvious if you look at it the right way, but it might yes. And so I'm always asking the question, or I'm always trying to teach myself to ask the question, when I get stuck, when things seem impossible, is there another way of looking at it? Right. And so uh, the most useful framing, um, by the way, how much time do you have? I booked 30 minutes, but since it's the two of us, I can go till 11 if you're free. Um, I, need, I have a call that I need to make at 11 for a client. So I need to stop about 15 minutes before that and get ready. Okay, I'll give you the 20 minute version. And, uh, but the, um, is that the, uh, there's a, a philosopher named Rene Girard, who is a Catholic. And you've heard of him or? No, I am acknowledging, I, I'm acknowledging all the concepts you're sharing as I write those. Yes, uh, 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 this will, this will, this will be on the test. So we'll just, <laughs> we'll throw them out there now. Um, he talks about how culture is driven by mimesis. We see people, we see what they want, we want what they want. Right? Two toddlers in a room of 100 toys will fight over the same toy. Yes. Right? And in culture, cultures exist because the culture agrees through some mechanism that these are the things that culture values. And we create a status scheme over acquiring those things. And that creates a level of stability in the culture. You know, and it varies from culture to culture. You don't realize how implicit these status games are until you, you know, travel to a culture which doesn't honor those things, right? Yes, yes. Then you understand okay. it. You see it different. Right. right. And then, you know, cultural systems, uh, and the problem with so mimesis is good because if everyone doesn't want the same thing, then you have chaos. 
let's say some level of shared mimetic, shared mimetic desire. But then you get this problem that everyone wants the same thing, and how do you keep them from killing each other to get it? And the answer is that you have to create these norms of who's allowed to have what. Right? Still with me? Okay, Are you still talking there, Stephen? I am. You, 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 okay. You all of history right now. Right, yeah. So civilization, and so this is where you know Benedict, my 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 friend of me, uh, you know, came up with this the, the pursuit of God, and the the monks who you know at the after the eating of Nantes, who fled to the desert, they said, okay, there's something we want more than civilization itself. And we care about it so much, we're going to devote our lives to it and we're going to go incredibly harsh discipline. And that signaling of like, this is something we desperately want and care about, created this massive mimetic movement towards belief in learning, belief in authority, belief in discipline that basically rebuilt civilization from scratch. And has been the backbone of almost everything that we've done as a civilization in the last thousand years. Not the only contributor by far, but it's kind of been the spine, the order. Like the very word order came from religious order, right? I can't think of you know law and order and civilization yeah. apart from the word order. That word did, literally did not exist until Benedict oh. and his monks invented it and infused it with meaning. He's like, we're going to weave these people together. This is our, that's the, the word religious order predates the use of the URL. I didn't know that. Cool. Hmm. All right. So the point is that they created this mimesis. Like, this is what it looks like to follow God. This is what it looks like. And that, you know, that was an extraordinary, extraordinary achievement. The problem is that, um, you know, with all culture, is that once you have sex, you, you still have uh, the problem of aggression because it's like, well, wait, like the rules are not fair, or this person did not follow the rules. And if you had small children, you know that that is a constant battle. Always, yeah. Yeah. And so, how do civilizations deal with it? Well, they have to find a way to vent aggression. And there's public spectacles and suffering. So, Gerard. And this is where he got sort of kicked out of the philosopher community. He said, well, Jesus is the only really viable answer we have ever found to that question. Is that there has to be an innocent sacrifice. He takes on the aggression to show that this thing is worth dying for. And this is more important than all the status and the prestige associated that everyone else plays. And, you know, I realized from that view, the reason that uh, the Catholic Church maintained, you know, hegemony over Europe for a thousand years. It's because they could recruit men who cared enough about God that they're willing to, to opt out of the status game everyone else played to become priests and monks. And that gave them a moral legitimacy that survived all sorts of idiocy. Yes. And in many ways, our modern university system inherited that. Yes. Right? You know, professors and graduates could be making, and I've discovered since leaving, could be making way more money. But because there's this monastic pursuit of truth, 
you know, they have signaled something and people have honored them for it, justifiably. But we've hit the point, but the, but the big dark side of this, and it knows me well, I visited a monastery myself, is that there's the public face of worship, and then there's the private life of the monks. Yes. And they are not, they are not always the same thing. Correct. Which is fine, but you never know when. Right? So the yeah. further opportunity we have right now to wrap things up, or give you some type of a question rather than just me ranting, is that what I have realized, especially with the Great Reset, is that under ordinary circumstances, to be vulnerable is to be destroyed. Oh, interesting. Because institutions mobilize antibodies because, you know, I've discovered the very, very hard way. There's the part of the mimetic game we play is there are certain questions you never ask. Like Apple, you never ask the question, like somebody actually asked the question, why don't we, at a, at a press conference, why doesn't Apple put Intel stickers on their laptops to make more money? <laughs> and it's like, this person was very nearly lynched. Because it's like, yeah. this is to, that is to commit sacrilege against the God of design that we serve. Yes. And the great thing about Apple was because we knew exactly which God we serve. We serve the God of design. Steve Jobs is his prophet yeah. and high priest and executioner. Uh, Everyone lived yeah. in the fear of God. We knew that nobody was going to ask the question, how can I make a quick buck by cheating the system? That was literally an unaskable question. And because no one asked the question, we never had to defend ourselves against people trying to uh, game the system. It creates extraordinary freedom when you know which God you serve. And you know, everyone else lives in terror of the same God. But the problem with that, as I said, you know, uh, there's a really ugly word people use for people who innovate theologically. So I think we've had this discussion before. Uh, no, Ernie, we didn't. What do we call this? What What are you thinking about here? Heretic. Oh, that one. Right, yeah. is that if you suggest, you know, maybe we're not serving the right God, the whole reason the system works is no one asked that question. Um, this sounds like, this sounds like the prophets in the Old Testament. Well, yeah. And, you know, and, and probably even more, yeah, and, and you know, the, the track record, the, the retirement trend for profits is not great, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. All right, so here's wow. the interesting, extraordinary opportunity we have right now, right, is that all the institutions that make Western civilization, starting with the universities, are A, dying, and B, in denial about it. That's kind of my premise, starting point. And because of that, they are so consumed with their own issues that literally uh, they are unable. So I have this expression where, like, with my kids this summer, they literally have nothing to do. Oops, still there? Did I lose you?